Okay, we're going to read God's Word together. Turn to Luke chapter 1. Um, Luke chapter 1, the birth of Jesus foretold. As we continue our Behold series, this morning we're in Luke chapter 1, reading from verse 26 through to verse 38. Luke 1, 26 to 38. This is the word of God. In the sixth, sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High God. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? The angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you before the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who, has called, who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Amen. We thank God for, for his word that is for us, um, that is for our good and for our growth, not just for information, but for transformation within, within our lives. So we're in our series that we're calling Behold, and the saying is true that we become like what we behold we become like what we behold in this life. And this Advent, our theme, Behold, is one where we're trying to encourage one another in the busyness and the distraction of the season that we're in to behold Jesus, the Son of God, all over again. And we said last week that whenever the Bible uses the word behold, or whenever God speaks the word behold, God is kind of metaphorically speaking, grabbing us by the collar, um, and God is urging us to stop and to take notice of what is about to be said, or what is about to happen in the scriptures of the moment that we're to behold right there and right then. And this Christmas, we want to behold Jesus all over again, and we do not want to miss a thing. We don't want to miss what God might be saying to us as his people. 
This passage this morning is, is stunning. It's full of um, some incredible moments in the narrative um, of that very first Christmas. And this passage takes us right into the heart of the incredible events uh, that surround um, the foretelling of the birth of Jesus, the Son of God. And this moment has, has become known as the Annunciation, um, which just means the announcement, um, the announcement of the birth of the Son of God. And in this moment, we see that the angel Gabriel is sent by God to the town in Galilee to a virgin girl whose name is Mary. And most of us know these events pretty well. And we hear this recalled and retold every Christmas time. And we hear that this girl, Mary, has found favor with God. She has found favor with God Most High. And Mary is not to be afraid as the angel announces the most astonishing news of all. And so this morning, I, wanna, I want us to think through three things as we behold what God is saying in these verses. I want us to behold the Son, to behold the impossible, and to behold the servant. Behold the Son, behold the impossible, and behold the servant. We behold the Son. We behold the Son of God. Verse 31 tells us how and why Mary is favored by God. She will give birth to a son. But this son, of course, is not going to be any ordinary baby. He will be extraordinary. His name will be Jesus, which means the Lord saves. His name will be Jesus, the Lord saves. This son we know would be born in a manger but would die on a cross. We know that this little baby would, you know, mild, he will lay his glory by. Born that man no more may die. This little baby born in a manger will 33 years later hang on a cross for the sins of this world. And in verses 32 and 33, we're told that this baby yet to be born will be at least three things. He will be great. It's really interesting that, that Luke records that he will be great. And the Greek word for great is a word megas, which I'm going to hazard a guess is where our English word mega comes from. You know, when we say something is mega, um, well, the Greek word for great is megas. This son who is yet to be born will be megas. He will be, he will be great. And whenever that word speaks of someone, it speaks of virtue, authority. It speaks of power, someone highly esteemed for their importance and their excellence. But we know that Jesus, more than anyone else who might have been described as megas, he will be the perfect definition of greatness. He will be great. Secondly, he is the son of the most high God. This little baby about to be born in a manger will be unique and exalted from the moment he would be born. In fact, from before time had even begun. He would be highly exalted. He would not only be great, he would be the son of the most high God. He would be from God. He would be of God. This baby would be God, God in skin. God wrapped in swaddling clothes, God lying in a manger, he would be divine. He is the son of the most high God. Thirdly, in these verses, we know that he will rule on David's throne forever. See, this little baby will have a throne that is eternal. He is from the line of David. 
But Jesus would become the humble king who never wore an earthly crown. This little baby, not born in a palace, born in a manger, will be the king of kings. He will become the humble king who will never wear an earthly crown. And his reign and his kingdom, praise God, would be eternal, would be everlasting. Remember last week, if you were here, we talked about the near partial fulfillment of prophecies of old and then also their kind of far ultimate fulfillment in the life of Jesus. Well, Isaiah's prophetic kingdom announcement centuries before would be fulfilled. Those words in Isaiah 9 where we read that the, of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. There will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. Jesus' kingdom would last forever. And it's this kingdom that we receive, that as the people of God today, we're invited into the kingdom of God. And it's the author of Hebrews who gives us our best response to this eternal kingdom. Hebrews 12, 28 to 29, the author writes this, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. And so this morning as we behold the Son, as we behold the Son of the Most High God, in our hearts our only appropriate response is reverence, thankfulness, a sense of awe, and then a heart of worship. We behold the Son of God, and in our hearts we worship Him. Behold the impossible, these moments are just impossible. There's so much impossibility that surrounds the birth of Jesus. There's so much impossibility around that first Christmas. Everything is impossible. The circumstances seem impossible. The plan seems impossible. The announcement that the angel makes sounds impossible. This is a poor family from a nowhere town. There's nothing about these people that would have made them likely candidates for what is about to happen. It's an unlikely child, a virgin mother. It's impossible. Everything seems impossible. And even Mary's own question to the angel in verse 34 confirms that Mary knows that this is impossible. She says to the angel, how can this be since I am a virgin? Talk about impossibility. How can this be? This cannot happen. There's an impossibility about this. How can this be? I'm only a virgin. I'm a young virgin girl. This is not possible, Mary says to the angel. One author, Jeremy Lineman, he comments on this and he says this. He says, in the middle of nowhere, to parents who might be called nobodies, this child who looked like any other baby was born. He says Jesus didn't come by way of fairy tale birth into a golden palace. Jesus came by way of pain, of poverty, of confusion. Jesus comes into the real world, this place of both beauty and brokenness, not into some idealized world. 
And I think it's really important that we note that God comes into the real world. The world that you and I live in. A world of wonderful beauty. We celebrated a moment at the front of church this morning with these beautiful boys, this beautiful little family. And we're reminded in moments like that that this world is beautiful. That we have moments, Aaron, when little babies are born. Moments of new life. Moments of beauty. Moments where we behold and we're like, wow, this is just stunning. God is a God who reveals beautiful things to us, all of us. What are the beautiful things in your life? The real world is a world of beauty, but the real world we know is also a place of brokenness. As a church, we acknowledge this all the time. The world that we live in is both beautiful and full of brokenness. It's beautiful. God has made everything in this world. He is the Lord of all creation. And yet we know because of the fall of humankind, because of sin and its devastating effects, that the world is broken. Do you feel the pain of this world? We feel the brokenness. It's all around us. The world is both beautiful and broken. And this is where God comes. Jesus comes into the real world, into the world of flesh and bone, into the world of human joy and human heartache. He comes and he becomes like one of us. God in skin, God in the flesh. He comes. God works in the real world. If you're here this morning and you think God, the God that we're worshiping, the God that we're praising this morning and lifting up our voices to, the God that I'm speaking of right now, if you think he's distant and far off, let me reverse that thought. God has come into this world, into its brokenness and its beauty, and he is with us. He is Emmanuel with us in this very moment. You must know that. And we pray and we sense that you would, you would know his presence today in all of the beauty and the brokenness of your life. Everything appears to be unlikely. In these moments in Luke chapter 1, everything appears unlikely and yet it was in these circumstances and these conditions that God chose to work out his unfolding plan of redemption for humankind let's not miss the significance of that this morning do you feel unlikely do the circumstances of your life feel like you're untouchable for God to work that you're somehow out of reach these events tell us otherwise. It's into these circumstances and these conditions that the Son of God comes. The King of an everlasting kingdom, the Savior of the world, would be born. You see, we behold the impossible. The Christmas narrative reminds us that all of this is quite simply a series of impossible possibilities. It's a series of events that just should not take place. But it's right into this moment that the angel makes the remarkable declaration in verse 37. Look at what the angel says. Verse 37, nothing will be impossible with God. Nothing will be impossible with God. As I thought about this during the week, I mean, how do we bridge the gap 
How do we begin to understand the gap between the God of Psalm 113, okay? God who is described as being exalted over all the nations. God whose glory is above the heavens. The one who sits enthroned on high. And then the God God who is at work in the dirt of an animal stable in backwater Bethlehem in the womb of a virgin girl? How do we bridge that gap? How on earth do we understand that as human beings here today, this morning? Well, I think the key is found in verse 35 as the angel speaks of how this will all come to pass in Mary's life. The angel says this, the Holy Spirit The Holy Spirit will come upon you, Mary. The power of the Most High God will overshadow you. Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High God will overshadow you. He's a God of the impossible. If God can do what he did that first Christmas, he really can't do anything. God of the impossible. I mean, come on. (laughs) Show it on your face. Come on. It's the God of the impossible. He is the God of impossible things. Nothing is impossible for God. If God can turn up where he did among the dirt of animals, the stench of wandering hillside shepherds in the womb of a young peasant virgin girl, he can turn up anywhere in the power of his spirit, by the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of the most high God. And so this morning, I want to challenge every single one of us. Give God your impossibility. What is your impossibility? What is it? Give God your impossible. Invite him into your impossible Give God the messy places of your life. Invite him in. He's quite comfortable there. Do you know that? Do you understand that God's quite capable of operating in places that are really difficult, that even seem a little bit messy and messed up? Invite him in. Someone has said this. This is the good news of Advent. God isn't afraid to show up in unlikely, unseen, and humble places. Praise his name. We might even say that he prefers them. If he can show up in the dead of night in a crowded animal stable, he can show up anywhere. Would we, can we stop sanitizing God? Stop boxing him in, making him so lame and safe and tame. God is the God of the impossible. He can do whatever he wills to do. What is the unlikely? I wonder what the impossible is in your life within your home, within your family, within your work. As I was praying about this this morning, I I had a sense that in a room the size of this, there would be at least one person in here and your mental health feels like it's getting the better of you. You feel the brokenness of that. And in many ways, you might think that there's no way out. There's no way out. You can't feel the light of Christmas. You can't see it. You don't feel any warmth at this time of year. 
all you feel is darkness and pain. If that's you, I want you to speak to me after this service because I want you to know that he is the God of the impossible. He can do all things. He can break through your pain. He can bring restoration and healing in a way that perhaps you do not understand. I want you to know that. If that's you, come and speak to me after our service this morning. He is the God of the unlikely. He is the God of the impossible. What is it in your life? Why not whisper a prayer to God in your heart this morning? Lord God, come in to my impossibility. He's God of the impossible. We behold the impossible because the power of God is at work. And then finally, we behold the servant. Verse 38, the angel's declaration that nothing will be impossible with God. Mary responds with the most astounding words. She says, behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. There's two things here that we know for sure that Mary is trusting as she leans into the God of the impossible. She's trusting in God's word. She says, let it be to me according to your word. She's trusting in the word of God. She's trusting in God's word that God has spoken and because God has spoken, she can trust him. She can offer herself up in service to him because of his word. And we can see that she trusts the spirit of God. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, says the angel, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Mary trusts in God's word and she trusts in the power of the Holy Spirit at work in her life. What a good example for us. What a model for our discipleship that we would be people who trust in the word of God spoken over us, that we would be those who trust in the power of his Holy Spirit at work within us. Mary asks good questions. It's okay to do that. Good questions. Mary asks the angel, how can it be? How can this be? But with her response, we can see that she surrenders everything to God. She surrenders to God's word spoken over her life and she surrenders to the power of the Holy Spirit at work within her life. Mary's life was difficult. This young girl's life was really difficult. Tim Keller comments and, and he says that, that Mary was about to have a child and even if Joseph had stayed with her, people were going to add it up. Okay, they were going to do the maths. Married that date, Baby born on that date. Hold on, wait a minute. Mary knew that in a traditional paternalistic society in a small town, she would always be seen as the bearer of an illegitimate child. And yet she said, I am the Lord's servant. And she knew what she was getting into. See, it's true, Mary was already near to the bottom of the social ladder in her day. To surrender to God's plan would have taken Mary even lower in society. Who knows what Mary's hopes and dreams were for her future? She was only a, a teenage girl. I mean, come on, Mary, I'm sure, had thoughts about her life, what things might look like, 
how life might have gone for her, but not knowing what the future will hold, she still surrenders to the plan of God. I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Or in other words, Lord, do whatever you want with my life in order to make your perfect plans come to pass. You teenagers in the room, I love talking to young people. Um, It's a youth pastor in me. You young people in the room, you young adults in the room as well, what are your plans? What What are the plans that you have for your life? How do you think things are going to pan out? What do you think it is that God has for your life? Come on, where are you young people? You young adults, you maybe haven't got a job yet, but you're looking at the future. You're thinking, what's it going to be, Lord? What are your plans? Who are you trusting? What does Mary's story tell you about what the most important thing is? Despite whatever the future might have looked like, you young people, listen up. We don't know what's down the road. You have no idea what the future might hold. But God does. And we trust him with all of our plans. His plans are the only ones that at the end of it all really matter. That we listen for his voice. That we follow his lead. That we surrender everything to him. Come what may. We see that in the life of Mary. Her faith is something to behold, isn't it? I mean, let's not brush over this. Her surrender is spectacular. Her servant heart deeply challenges me. And Mary, for me, is a heroine of the faith. What a hero. How can we follow in her footsteps of faith and service? How can we, in a culture of control, have a heart surrendered like Mary's? How can we, in a culture of constant self-promotion and worldly ambition, how can we live a life dead to self and alive to God's will and purpose. Well, as we come to a close, there's only one place that we can go. Or rather, there's only one person that we can go to. You see, we know this isn't really about Mary. As amazing a hero of the faith Mary is, this isn't really all about Mary. See, some older translations of Mary's response to the angel put it like this. Be it unto me according to thy word. Be it unto me according to thy word. And if you listen closely enough, if you behold those words long enough, you will hear the echo of Jesus' own words 33 years later in the Garden of Gethsemane when with sweat drops of blood and a heart filled with anguish, that little baby born in a manger this fully grown man about to hang on a cross would say to his heavenly father, yet not my will, but yours be done. Father, be it unto me according to your word. Your will be done. Have your way in me. You see, Mary's humble surrender to the will of God would echo the humble surrender of the son that she was carrying. Jesus has come to give his life for us. For every sacrifice of surrender we could ever make for Jesus' sake, we need to know that he has made infinitely more 
by way of sacrifice for us. He has come to give his life for us that we might find life in all of its fullness. We're going to worship God and so why don't you stand with me? Let me invite our worship team forward. Let's take a moment just in the stillness as we, as we do here in Carmoney as we prepare to worship the Lord. Give back and, and sung worship to him. If we prepare to do that, um, let's just come before him in prayer. Uh, and in the quiet space of, of um, this sanctuary on this Sunday morning, let's be reminded that in the economy of the kingdom of God, the way up is the way down. The path to greatness is the path of humility. The road to significance is the road to surrender. And this is why we offer ourselves to God. It's why we serve him. And it's why we worship him. Listen to this from Frederick Bigner. He says this about Christmas. He says, what keeps the wild hope of Christmas alive year after year in a world notorious for dashing all hopes is the haunting dream that the child who was born that day may yet be born again, even in us. Heavenly Father, we live in a world, a world that can be so full of broken dreams, dashed hopes, and yet here we are saying thank you with reverence and awe and worship. Thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus, born that day, that he may yet be born again, even in us. Heavenly Father, we thank you that he has come into the beauty and the brokenness of this world to meet us where we are at. May we behold the impossibility of it all, trusting that you are God of the impossible. It's in Jesus that our hopes come alive. We behold him. We behold him. May we sense the presence once again of Emmanuel, God who is with us. Lead us now as we worship, as we respond in song. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.